0: for the
1: good morning and thank you um, that's a hymn that I've been anxious for us to learn and uh, Ashley who typically plays with fusion I uh, had a free day and so she with Brooke and Ruth uh, included that in our prelude and it'll be part of our regular service as well so um, meditate on those words we've got a good time together we've come to gather for worship this day and worship of the living God. The call to worship, I've set up a responsive reading from Psalm 103. Uh, Let's enter right in and we'll read responsively. Let me begin. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not His benefits. Who forgives all your sins? and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns your with compassion? Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your, your youth is renewed like the eagles? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our first hymn for this morning is number 224 in the hymnals. We'll have the projected as well. If you're able, let's stand and sing together, rejoice, the Lord is King. And have a seat if you would, please. Well, greetings. I'm always thankful to welcome those of you who are able to gather on site here. We gather together. Uh, we're able by live stream and by recording to gather with those of you who are watching by live stream. And so we welcome you as well. We're here with this experience sharing with those um, all over the world I'm discovering in this experience. It's an amazing thing that we can be together. Um, I've already introduced our guests for the music, very thankful for that. Um, I'm also aware, and I don't know that I've done that often here at Celebration, I wanna say this. Thanks for being the answer to my prayers. Turn to the person next to you and say, Pastor Bill says thanks. And here's why. One of the things I do each week is say, Father, as I prepare, bring the people that you want to have here to receive what you have. And so one of the things I do, I don't often make a big thing of it, I'm doing it today, is when I look at faces on Sunday morning, I'm going, whoa, answer to prayer. Whoa, answer to prayer. Mary Lynn, whoa, answer to prayer even my wife. It's good that we're together, so I'm thankful for this. A couple of things today. There'll be a fellowship time after the service, but there will not be the usual follow-up with the pastor where I do kind of a question-answer interaction. It turns out Pastor Aaron, who usually preaches in watershed, was real sick yesterday. They were able to test and check. I had migraine and symptoms from that. There doesn't seem to be anything serious, but he's not preaching. Instead, Pastor JB is going to Watershed. I'm in celebration and going to Fusion. And by this afternoon, God will be praised and glorified. A couple of things happen, and I expect to be alive. A um, couple of things going on. Slides are potluck on Tuesday. Chance to gather during the week, uh, share some fellowship time, and a contact card. We found the easiest way. If you will just text to... Uh, this number, 616-202-1210. Text the word CONNECT. You'll get a form. You can let us have your email. We'll send you the Thursday night email that I send out. You can stay in the loop with things. So happy to do that. Let me, another thing that's going to happen later on in the service, um, I will not be praying as I usually do for a congregational prayer, but I've asked a guest, Pastor Florencio, to do that in just a moment. But what I'd like to do would be to just have a moment to share with you. This is Mother's Day, so I would say Happy Mother's Day, but let me tell you something. After decades of planning public worship for people, Mother's Day has become a growing challenge. It's a cultural holiday, straightforwardly speaking. It's not part of our liturgical calendar like Easter. But for any of a variety of reasons, there's been a lot of destructive pressure on the nuclear Family. There's been a lot of idolizing of a particular kind of family structure and roles because of those things. I become, every pastor has become increasingly aware that when we gather, some are thankful as they reflect on life with their mother. Some have been deeply wounded by the same. Some are missing their mother. Some mothers are missing children. Some women are yearning to be mothers. Some women are so overwhelmed, they're not sure they can face the challenge. All that to say, real honestly here together, there's a wide variety of experiences and situations, and so there's a wide variety of responses and emotions. That's fine. And it's good that we be together. The scripture in Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. We've just sung about that, but we also need to mourn with those who mourn. And so, in light of the gospel, I want to say to you, whether you're thankful or struggling to forgive, whether you're feeling empty or overwhelmed, the day may bring you joy or it may bring you sadness, whatever your circumstance. We're all glad we're all here, celebration, any gospel-centered church, any gospel-centered church to be a safe place to rejoice, to weep, to wonder, to do whatever because we're together. So I invite everyone here and across the internet. At Heart of we've set our hearts to join in the journey of being found in, formed by, and followed, following Jesus Christ. So whether you're rejoicing or whether you're mourning, let's join together, together in Christ caring for one another, instruments of God's grace in one another's life. We're together in this. We're together in a a faith and a belief that's not ours to invent, but that has been faithfully passed down to us to shape our lives. And so I use a question from the Heidelberg Catechism each week. Let's do that. This is for question 61. I'll begin with the question. Why do you say that through faith alone you are righteous? The answer, not because I please God by the worthiness of my faith. It is because only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness makes me righteous before God. And because I can accept this righteousness and make it mine in no other way than through faith. Our next hymn, um, remains Cedar. Are you going to play it through one time? How are we going to? Okay. Good. You'll see that is hymn number 682. The words will be here. Let's stand and sing to the glory with our trio. Thanks so much, and have a seat. Pastor Florencio, why don't you come join us? You know, each week here at Celebration, we've been in the habit, as I've prayed, to pray very specifically for Mission and for Pastor Florencio, who'll be preaching the gospel in Spanish right here in a few hours. Well, it finally worked out, this is who we've been praying for. I'm I'm so thankful that the kingdom that I was brought into, rescued from the kingdom of darkness, brought into the kingdom of light, is so varied and diverse, I can hardly keep up with it. So this morning we have an opportunity. I've asked Pastor Florencio to pray for us. We'll end and I can help with the Lord's Prayer at the end, but he's going to pray our congregational prayer here at Celebration this morning in his own heart language. Aren't, aren't you glad that our Heavenly Father is multilingual? <laughs> Thank you.
2: I, I pray in Spanish. God understands every language. And uh, I spoke with God. Padre nuestro que estás en los cielos, bendito Dios. Poderoso Dios nuestro que todo lo ves, que todo lo sabes. Que todo lo conoce Dios, Padre Santo, Dios Bueno. Señor Dios, aquí hay una cantidad de pueblo tuyo, Dios mío, que tú amas y que tú quieres. Padre, oro por ellos. Pido, Dios mío, por la fe, Señor, pido por su gracia, su amor y su bondad para cada uno. Señor Dios, aprovecho la oportunidad para dar gracias a usted por cada... Madre, por cada mamá que ha tenido hijos, por los que tienen nietos, que son bisnietos, tatarañietos, por la familia, Padre. Señor Dios nuestro, tenlos en el hueco de tu mano. Bendice y prospera y concede, Dios mío, la gracia de alcanzar el cielo y la vida eterna. Paz, Dios mío, sea esta nación. Paz a tu pueblo en el nombre de Jesucristo Jesucristo.
1: and as jesus has taught us let's pray together saying our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done (laughs) give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And amen. Amen. Thank you so much, goodness. Um, At this point, I'm going to ask any of the kids in our congregation who'd like to be a part of just a story and a time up here, if you could join me. Uh, I think I've got slides lined up, but... Anybody going to join me up here or do I just, thank you. You know, you do that. You just wonder, am I, we were just waiting for leaders. (laughs) Good morning, folks. Okay. Let's, yeah, there we go. We're going to find a seat and do good. Um, It's good to see everybody. You know, I pray for you through the course of the week, and as I pray for you through the week, I'm also anxious to have a time that you and we all remember that Jesus said come and come to him. This really is one of my favorite books, the Jesus Storybook Bible, Every Story Whispers it name, His Name. I've got multiple degrees from multiple seminaries, but no other book has helped me more clearly see what Jesus said that the entire scripture points to him. Seriously, I've read all my seminary books. This helped the most. So I'm gonna read you from my favorite book and I'll let you see the pictures. They'll be up here as well as I read. The heavens are singing about how great God is and the skies are shouting it out. See what God has made. Day after day, night after night, they are speaking to us. That's Psalm 19. And it's interesting, isn't it? That's what we see today ever so clearly. Let me begin on this first page. God wrote, I love you. He wrote in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. He wrote his message everywhere because God created everything in his world to reflect him like a mirror, to show us what he is like, to help us know him and make our hearts sing. The way a kitten chases her tail, the red poppies grow wild, the way a dolphin swims. You see some of those things in the tree there, don't you? That's what's going on. And God put it in the words too and he wrote it in a book. We call that book the Bible. And here's some of those people. Now some people think that the Bible is a book of rules, telling us what you should what you should and what you shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best, but the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Listen to that. The Bible isn't mainly about you and about what you should be doing, much less what you should do for God to like you. He already loves you. Instead, other people think that the Bible is a book about heroes, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does not have some hero, does have some er heroes in it. But as you'll see, as we read through this book, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes even on purpose and deliberately. They get afraid and run away. And at times they are downright mean. And so you see some of these people, there's Saul, there's Abraham. That's Joseph with a multicolored coat. Interesting guy. So finally, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. Think about that win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne everything to rescue the one he loves it's like the most wonderful fairy tales that has become true in real life it It might be i'd have i'm not an expert in fairy tales but a guy who was c.s lewis he's the one i first heard say the question was would this be the only fairy tale like story that ever came true and i'm thinking it might be but i'm not an expert in fairy tales C.S. Lewis was real clear that there's a yearning in each of us that wants hope and that this story gives hope because it is true. So a guy who knows fairy tales and is smarter than me thinks it is. You see, the best thing about the story is that All the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture all in that book, isn't that amazing? And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. This is the child who would one day, but wait, our story starts where all good stories start, right at the very beginning. Alrighty? Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you that you have given us your great story and that in that story we find hope and encouragement and love. Be with us this day. Teach us how to love one another and guide our footsteps in the goodness of your grace. For we pray in Jesus' marvelous name and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. You may head back to your pews. I think they'll make it. We're preaching through the book of Colossians uh, through this month, and we've called this Jesus, the glory and the mystery, because the person of Jesus just is that deep and mysterious for us. So uh, I'll read this morning from Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24, and then we'll dig in. Does that work? Let us hear the word of God. Now. I rejoice in what I am suffering, Paul writes, whoa, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission of God that he gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in the spirit. And I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, thank you that centuries ago a man who was stuck in prison had met you, the Lord Jesus, and as he began to learn through the scripture in your spirit what it meant to bear fruit in light of the good news of the gospel, he would write from that prison to a church filled with people he'd never met. And yet because they held together in Christ, they could communicate. And so now centuries later in the amazing way you've preserved these texts across centuries so that now we can open the scroll as it were, translate, study, read. We thank you that what Paul had for the people in Colossae will be the instrument of your spirit to lead us into that word in this moment, in this place. Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts and minds to receive all that you have for us. Thank you for your kindness and goodness. Fill us with a great hope this day. Guard your people, O Lord, from my brokenness and confusion and sin. But make Jesus compelling and clear. For we pray in his mighty name and all of God's people set together. Amen. Amen. Who is at work here? At essence, I think the thread through this particular passage is where do you get energy? Where do you get plans? Where do you get direction in how to work and how to live? I want to point out that a key word is the word maturity. And Paul writes here that he labors so that these people might be mature notice people he's never met people whom he did not plant the church but he knows of them and he knows of them in Christ this word maturity is a fascinating word the Greek is teleos and it speaks of completed or finishing as if each one of us were a a work in progress how does that sound but not in progress to wherever we want to go, not in progress at our rate or our agenda, but a work in progress towards the fullness of Christ in us. It's a race, as it were. Jesus wants to make of you and me something other than what I am right now. More in some ways, more love, more joy, more peace, less in others, less worry, less anger, Less self-righteousness, less pride, less greed. And this perfecting is like a journey. It's like a race. It's not like performance so that I can do what I'm supposed to do correctly. It's not a state of achievement. It's dynamic. It's like this journey. And it's not so much perfect compared to others as it is completed in who I am. Now, that's good news. For me to be completed in Christ doesn't mean that I need to be the very best of what there could be. I don't need to be Tom Brady, Steph Curry, other people wrapped up in me. This is the marvelous thing. God's vision for maturity, what Paul is writing about here, about the call to maturity, meets the heart cry of this moment. There's a deep heart cry if you'll read the the literature, watch the movies, listen to the music of our culture that wants to discover identity. Who am I? As if to be authentic means to establish my own identity and who I am and what I am. The gospel offers to us that unique fullness. And so in that word, it's a yes to our culture, but it also says that unique fullness of each person as an individual is not so much theirs to create as it is ours to receive. I'll never know my authentic identity until I know the Creator and He is at work to create in me more than I could ever ask or imagine. Think about that. Now, on our Sermon Resources blog, something that I do as part of my study, I often take a key word like this, and I have a way on my computer that I can pull up every verse in English that uses that particular Greek word, and I'll meditate through about 25 uses of this, and I've got them listed in English. You could download this from the Sermon Resources blog and kind of see every place This is the word Jesus uses in Matthew 5, 48 when he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be completed. Come to fruition. He says to the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, 21, If you want to be completed, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. 1 John 4, 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love, completed love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment again and again we read through the scripture that God has a purpose for your life, it's unique to you, it will be the gifts that he gives you, it will be part of the experiences that you have good, bad or indifferent it will be part of the things you learn and that he teaches you, unique to you God's work in you Just looking at this text this morning, if the goal is maturity, if that means it's God's vision for your life, where am I headed, what does it mean? Listen to some of the words that Paul uses. This is not an exhaustive list, but in this passage, this is what Paul, as he's prayed for the church in Colossae, is praying might be completed in them. My goal is that you may be encouraged in heart, need some encouragement, I wanna tell you, it's been quite a week. I've had months now of quite a week. But in the gospel, there's an encouragement. Even in the reality of my life, there is for you. To be united in love. That means I'm not alone. That in the love of Christ, I'm drawn with people who will speak words of encouragement and give acts of encouragement. All that so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding. You know, there's a lot in this world and in my life that I just don't understand or can't make sense of. Now, I've been at this long enough to know that sometimes I look backward over my life and I begin to see with a deeper understanding. I know that as I begin to look at the world in light of the gospel and ask not, why did you do this, God? But instead, Jesus, where are you with me in this situation? But as I begin to look at the world through gospel-centered lens, I begin to have a deeper understanding to cooperate and to move with it. All in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. There's a mystery that's being made known to us in the gospel. In Colossians 2.4, Paul writes, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. You know, there's a lot of different ways to live being presented out there some of them are based on fine sounding arguments but it's the gospel that helps me sort through some of these arguments and begin to see a little more deeply for myself where God wants to shape and guide and take me deception is a real thing and one of the most difficult kinds of deception to deal with is self-deception because it's a deception of my voice speaking to me trying to make something true that's not true and missing the truth of God you know it's true that I'm a deeply loved fully adopted child of the great creator king I love that statement in our gospel meditation and this is the offer of the gospel for every one of us to be more than just a creature but to be a deeply loved child of the great Creator King. Some days I feel that more than others. You ever been there? Man, I have. Not recently, (laughs) not in the past 10 minutes, but that's true because of what Jesus did on the cross. So there's this goal, maturity, encouraged, united, understanding, not deceived. I tell you, what else this challenges us to think of is that if God's purpose for us, if the finish line is maturity, there are some things that may not be at that finish line. I've had to learn through the course of my life, and I see it in the Scripture, that God is calling me to maturity. He's calling you to maturity. That may not mean He's calling you to prosperity. But if that's the goal of your life, the good news of the gospel is that that's not a finish line that will bring hope and joy. I don't believe God is calling us to poverty, but by His grace, He will help us learn to navigate both. That's what the Scripture gives us, that full-orbed balance. He calls us to maturity, not comfort. Has God ever led you into some uncomfortable settings where you had to deal with something in yourself? If he hasn't, he will, (laughs) that's who he is. He's more committed to your maturity than your security or your control. If your hope in life is to control every outcome, you're in conflict with God. And by his grace, he'll begin to break that and draw you into relationship with him that you can live in maturity, not in your own control. Maturity may look different than acceptance or approval, particularly from other unbelievers. We need to realize that to live as people of the gospel means we may well live differently than the surrounding world. That's fine. I'll dig into that a little deeper in just a moment. I want you to see that the goal, the end point, the finish line is maturity and along that race god is the one who is at work paul points out to how god is at work for the colossians colossians 1:27 he writes to them god has chosen to make known among the gentiles i'm sorry that reference is wrong it's number 27 god has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of the mystery. See, because of God's initiative and grace, we can begin to have an understanding of what would only be a mystery, that you could live by grace without fear of shame or performance. How does that work? How many people go to churches in the United States and don't know of that mystery? God has been at work to make it known. The mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The gospel that because of what Jesus did on the cross, it's possible for the indwelling Christ to be our hope of glory. So he's choosing to make known. He's actively involved in making known this mystery. And then he's calling people. Paul writes of his commissioning, I've become the servant of this gospel by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in his fullness. I want to tell you, I'm thankful that I've received the approval of my peers. That's part of what ordination is, the accountability, the affirmation. But a commission to share the gospel is a work of God. And so each week there's a humility that God could use a broken vessel like this. Part of the good news is as you look at my life, you can say, whoa, God uses broken people. Maybe he could use me. Maybe he could use another different broken person in my life. So you see, it's very clear there's a goal in this maturity. And it's because God is at work. But it's also because God, Paul is at work for the Colossians. And I want to spend a little more time and dig into this. I read to you from the New International Version at in the beginning. And Paul talks about filling up for the church the suffering There's a translation that I like a little better for catching the spirit of the Greek that Paul wrote, and it's in the message. Let me read it to you. Colossians 1, 24 and 25. I want you to know how glad I am that it's me sitting here in this jail and not you. Now, there's a lot of suffering to be entered into in this world, the kind of suffering that Christ takes on. I welcome the chance to take my share in the church's part of that suffering. The gospel calls us to go where there is suffering. The gospel calls us not to observe poverty from a distance but to enter in. The gospel calls us to share lives with the sick and with the wounded, with the fearful and the discouraged. It calls us in. There is suffering in the world and if you are in Christ, You will be part of God's call to enter and to share the suffering with others because that's what Jesus does. He enters into our suffering, offers his life, and that empowers us to enter into the suffering of others. Please, please don't think that this suffering is about the inadequacy of what Jesus did. There's ways of thinking about Christianity that do that. Oh, Jesus suffered, but you got to suffer some more to make up for it couldn't be further from the truth. The suffering that Paul is writing about here is a suffering that comes when we are in Christ. We've got some, uh, Ron, we've got some of our missionaries here this morning. I just met them walking in. I can only guess that God has called you out of a place of comfort to some places where you've seen wonderful things, but also deep suffering. I grew up in the suburb. I began ministry in a tough neighborhood in New Orleans. Little Wayne was one of our neighbors, I like to say. I had to enter into the suffering of that community to know the goodness of the gospel was not only for that neighborhood and my neighborhood, but for all of God's people. David French fascinating writer that I like quite a bit had a marvelous article last week. This was from Sunday a week ago. It was entitled, Why Compassion is Divisive. He gives two reasons. First, compassion contradicts hate, and the hateful will not tolerate it. I want to tell you, as I survey our world right now, there is hate aplenty on all sides of most every issue I see. To live in Christ, to model that compassion, to be compassion, means the hateful will not tolerate it. Second, he points out that compassion contradicts pride. It's a lowering of self to hurt within other people, and the prideful will not permit it. Because we're pursuing our own self-actualization, I'm declaring my own authenticity. I'm me being me. Do you hear the pride? The proud will not permit compassion. David goes on to write, the culture often claims that it wants Christians to be like Christ, but does it really? The spirit of the age is better described by a famous quote by a Peruvian general and president named Oscar Benavides. He writes, for my friends, everything. For my enemies, the law. Christ responds, for my friends, mercy. For my enemies, mercy. That is the gospel. Mercy, compassion, hope to those who are different than me, to those who are not me. This is the suffering that Paul says he's entering into, and he's hard at work for the Colossians in this. He goes on to write, he does this, he is the one we proclaim, he's making the gospel known with clarity, admonishing, that is to say he's challenging their thinking and the behaviors that grow from that thinking. Paul was an admonisher, he was clear with the people he loved and had relationship with about the implications of what that meant for our life. And teaching, he was changing their understanding, He was giving them information that the world could not give. Everyone, he does these three things with all wisdom so that we may present you fully mature in Christ. There's that goal. But here's something that I found just fascinating. Colossians 1.29. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I strenuously contend. Here's Paul, strenuously contending. In chapter 2, verse 1 of Colossians, he'll go on to say, I want you to know how hard I am contending. You shouldn't be surprised. Later on in Colossians 4.12, he talks about Epaphras, another person who is wrestling. It's that same word. Contending, wrestling. Who are you engaged closely with an enemy, exerting every muscle, sweating, pressing, trained for, wrestling. And to make it all the more fascinating, in chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Epaphras is wrestling, contending in prayer. Is there an aspect of your prayer life that looks like wrestling? There was for Paul. There was for Epaphras. You see, we often think of prayers. as, well, nothing else will work, so let's try it. Paul, because he saw the world differently. I mean, what are you wrestling with in prayer? The physical? No. The personal, as you wrestle with your emotions? Perhaps the social, as I look to push back. No. In prayer... And Paul gets into this in Ephesians 6, we wrestle with a spiritual reality beyond the physical, beyond the personal, beyond the social, but just as real. Is that a part? I'm not saying is that all, I don't want to get spooky or hocus pocus about this, but the scripture calls us to see that there is more to reality that can be measured with a tape measure. And we enter into a world beyond that world to wrestle in prayer on behalf of those who have deep needs. Wrestling in prayer. So there's a goal of maturity. Friends, God is at work in this. That's amazing to join Him and be a part of it. And He calls us to be a part of that work. Well, whose work is it anyhow? I'll start with the que- end with the question I started with. Often we try to figure out, well, did God cause that or did I cause this? I want to tell you, in Paul's vision, he would say, silly question. It's not either or, it's both and. And I love this term, competing agency. You know, I've been mentioned in this book pretty regularly over the past weeks, Prayer in the Night by Tish Harrison Warren. What a great writer, and what a great book. I saw it available in the library. Um, When I preach at Fusion later today, I'll mention this book to them. I hope they can't check it out of the library because one of you have. And then I hope you'll go on to purchase it. I don't recommend the purchase of many books. I've mentioned two today. Yes, thanks. Tish Harrison Warren and her book, Prayer in the Night. She uses this term competing agency. We often think, who's at work here, God or me? If God's at work, why should I get involved? If I'm at work, who needs God? Tish says in this marvelous term, competing agency, that both are at work together. She's captured what Paul is pointing to here. Let me read to you briefly from her book. Harvard professor Steven Pinker's book, Enlightenment Now, The Case for Reason, Science, Humanism Humanism, and Progress. His book outlines how our lives have been improved by reason, particularly science and technology. Pinker in his writing explicitly pits prayer against the work of progress. He writes this, ever creative, homo sapiens have long fought back against the disease, against disease with quackery, such as prayer. But, he writes, starting in the late 18th century with the invention of vaccination and accelerating in the 19th century with the acceptance of germ theory of disease, the tide of battle began to turn. Hand washing, midwifery, mosquito control, and especially the protection of drinking water by public sewerage and chlorinated tap water would come to save billions of lives. Pinker presumes that prayer and that God himself dwells in some other dimension than in the realm of hand washing, germ theory, or sewers. Now believer and unbeliever alike can slip into this way of thinking. We wall off prayer, whether we think it's quackery or not. We wall it off from hard human work, from acts of genius, leaps in technology, or bills becoming lost. One evening, I came downstairs, and to my surprise, I found my husband, Jonathan, crying while reading. Now, both Tish and her husband, Jonathan, are Anglican priests with the Anglican Church in North America. So this is a a pastoral wife observing a pastoral husband. I came downstairs and, to my surprise, found my husband, Jonathan, crying while reading, positively weeping over the kindness and generosity of God. But he wasn't reading the Bible or the church fathers. What was he reading? He was reading Steven Pinker's book, Enlightenment Now. I began to laugh. As my husband read about the billions of lives that have been saved through clean water and modern medical care, he saw the work of God in and through people's work. Steven Pinker and Jonathan were looking at the same events and data. But their stories about reality, their worldview and what the world is like, made them narrate that data in completely different, in this case, contradictory ways. Where Pinker saw quackery, Jonathan saw the glory of God at work. He was filled with the wonder that God would usher such astounding healing into this sad world and give men and women, oftentimes as children, the privilege of participating in that work. Her husband, Jonathan, saw people doing what Paul was writing about right here, laboring and contending with all God's energy, praying and working, taking, learning, and applying it in the directions that God had called them. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus gave his life for us on the cross, that we might not simply pray or work, but that as praying people and praying for others, we might work and not simply in our own strength and power, that as we pray and work, God himself in his grace will work through our prayers and through our efforts. We see that, we can be a part of that. That's why I love being a part of a church that's committed to inviting every one of you. Don't talk to me about your age. Don't talk to me about your resources. It's right where you are. I want to invite you to join the adventure, the adventure of a lifetime, really. The journey of being found in, formed by, and following Jesus, the risen Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your kindness to us. I thank you for the love that you've shown us in Jesus. I thank you that you have called us to labor with all your power that as we engage you in prayer, you shape us and guide us and empower us to be salt, to be light, to bear fruit in the world so that the world might know and see of a God who would lay aside his glory and enter into the broken human condition and share with us the full majesty of the living God. Thank you for this day. Fill us with a great hope and joy. And I'm going to ask, because I've referred to it, that we close this morning, um, before we sing our final hymn, with the Heart of White Gospel Mission uh, meditation, Uh, let's pray together these words as our closing prayer. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for me, and for all humanity. I am not my own, but instead, by the working of His grace, I am a deeply loved and fully adopted child of the great Creator King. Jesus has loved me first and loved me as I am right here and right now, not as I should be or could be. He has also given the Holy Spirit to work in me transforming me day by day into His likeness. In that way, Jesus increasingly works through me as He brings about the restoration and reconciliation of all creation. Holy Spirit, help me to believe this and increasingly see the evidence of your work in my life, values, and actions." By the grace of God, we live with His power and His direction and His gospel hope. Uh, We'll sing that in this closing hymn, We Give Thee But Thine Own. It's hymn number 877. If you're able to stand and join us in singing, do that. In just a moment, I'll give you the benediction from uh, Paul's letter to Romans chapter 16, and then we'll sing the doxology. And then there's a postlude, and I want to just tell you something about our postlude today. Um, Jane is going to play the Ukrainian National Anthem. It's a beautiful setting and piece. Um, It's titled in translation, Ukraine's glory has not perished. And it's been an amazing thing for me to learn more about it this week. I want to interpret that for you just a bit. We don't do that to exalt any nation or ethnic group above Jesus. Remember, Jesus is Lord. There are other valuable things. Family, nation, New Orleans saints. (laughs) It's about having them in the right order. But I wanted to have that played so that we can be reminded of these people and their suffering, and so that we might remember to pray to the weak. And now to Him the one who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Christ Jesus, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen and amen.